WFYI podcast brought to you by Bloomington, Indiana, an American college town offering food and drink, college sports, outdoor activities, live music, cool art, and good times daily. Everyone is welcome in Bloomington. More information at visitbloomington.com. Hi, this is Elmore Leonard. I'm, I'm listening to Film Sociology, and, and uh, it, it's a real program. It's great. It's time to hear what's good, what's bad, and what's ugly at the multiplexes and at the art house. Warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, or doghouse in that area. You'll also hear about new and old films on Blu-ray and on DVD. Plus, you'll hear all the latest Hollywood gossip. I don't care! Okay, maybe not the latter, but it is time for Film Sociology with WFYI's film guru. Kaiser Shizzy! No, that's Matthew Sosi. It's such a fine line between stupid and and clever, yes. Let's see how thin the line is. Here's your host, Matthew Sosi. Welcome to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD to the point and WFYI.org. If you have a question or a comment, you can email me at msocey, that's M-S-O-C-E-Y, at WFYI.org. I'm also on Facebook, also on Twitter, at Matthew Sosi. This show is available as a podcast, and it's also available on iTunes. Well, we're, we're going to have a little bit of stage sociology this week, because Indie Fringe has started, and it's up and running. Go to IndieFringe.org for all the information on shows that are happening throughout uh, downtown Indianapolis. That's right, IndieFringe.org. I do want to mention... We will have an epic interview with uh, director and creator Casey Ross, who has created Arcade Fire, The Redemption of Billy Mitchell. Yes, the King of Kongs guy. And Billy Mitchell will also be in studio as a guest, discussing the musical and a little bit of the movie and a little bit of other, uh, a myriad of other things, uh, game-related and not game-related. So tune in for that in just a moment. But I do want to mention a couple of shows that you can, if you go to IndieFridge.org, look for times, look for locations. But shows like The Globe, which is Earlham's uh, production, uh, Autumn Takes a Tumble, Two Mofros on a Ledge, I have to, I have to change it. And Taylor Martin's Indie Magic, among other things, happening at the at uh, the Fringe Festival. You're bound to find something you like. All kinds of stuff there. So go check that out. Now, opening in theaters this week, uh, the one I got to see was a documentary called McQueen about the controversial and famous uh, fashion designer Alexander McQueen. And uh, it... it it stand, It follows the kind of standard bio biog- uh, biography documentary, or as my buddy Laura said, I, I don't like biopics because they're movies about people. And what she says, it, it follows the format. Uh, a lot of talking heads talking about this very complicated gentleman who uh, was abused and witnessed abuse as a child and uh, wanted to design, wanted to create. Uh, it was There was that fine line between making clothes and making art and... Um, you know, a lot of the stuff that's on the runways is not exactly practical, comfortable, but it looks cool. And there is a lot of that in this film, a lot of uh, runway footage um, and how the clothes he designed helped reflect how he was feeling at that time. This was not a happy person, abrasive, uh, well, quite a bit, Um but got his got his way and what did what he wanted. And uh, I'm not the most sympathetic person when it comes to troubled people in the fashion world. Maybe because I've been wearing the same stuff for 30, 40 years. Um, but but films like the the September issue and yes, even Devil Wears Prada. It, it's hard for me to emotionally invest 
in folks like these. But um, and and it's a tough sell with McQueen and and but the, the the hearing the testimonials of of the people that worked with him and and seeing the footage itself because he did want to blur that line between art and fashion. Um, he he did it well. I you know I I I don't know art, but I know what I like. I think it's probably the same thing about clothes in my case. So, um, not a good ending because if you study up on him, you know how he ended. But um, but it it is turned out to be a a fascinating story nonetheless. So that is opening in theaters now. Well, it's your art house theater. You know which one. Um, Big title on DVD and Blu-ray this week, uh, the latest Avengers film. And, yeah, if they stick to their ending, I'll, I'll give them credit. But we're not there yet. Um, new uh, – oh, wait a minute. Oh, also at uh, the Artcraft Theater in Franklin, depending on when you're listening to this. If you're listening to this on Saturday at 7.30 p.m., you can go down to Franklin and see the Maltese Falcon. Uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, the 24th through the 26th ET. Thursday, August 30th. Best in Show, Friday and Saturday, September 7th and 8th, Gone with the Wind. At IU Cinema, if you're heading down um, today, at 4 o'clock, Yellow Submarine, and at 7 o'clock, Ava. On Monday the 20th, as a part of their Ingmar Bergman series, at 7 o'clock, The Virgin Spring. On Tuesday the 23rd, White Nights, and uh, Twyla Tharp Dance Company and IU professor, adjunct professor Sean Stevens will be there. Friday the 24th at 7 o'clock, What About Bob? And at 10 p.m., Blade. And then Saturday, August 25th at 4 p.m., Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And at 7 p.m., Hair. And the Twilight Harp Dance Company dancers, will uh, a couple of them, Richard Colton and Sean Stevens, will be present as well. So you can go check those out. Um... And that's well, and I do want to mention Sammy Terry is going to be at the uh, Skyline Drive In in Shelbyville on August 24th and 25th. That's Fridays and Saturdays. So go check that out. All right. Um, let's get to my epic chat with Casey Ross and Billy Mitchell, people involved in, and thankful, I guess, involved with Arcade Fire, The Redemption of Billy Mitchell, which is going to be at Indie Fringe. Get ready for this. Enjoy. Now, Casey, it, it, there have been a number of musicals made based on movies, popular movies. Mm -hmm. You've decided to take it one step further because when I first heard you were doing Arcade Fire, at first I thought it was a, docu a musical about the documentary of King of Kongs, but it is something much more than that. Please, how did Arcade Fire come into your life? <laughs> yeah, I'll be learning this for the first time also. Thank you, Bill. All right. Yes. Um, <laughs> Well, I am a veteran Fringe writer, so Fringe Festival, it's uh, kind of all about more pop culture, kind of fringy ideas, new theater, and uh, I do it every single year, and this was my 10th. I wanted to do something kind of kind of big, kind of wild, and um, I was just thinking, like, what would bring sort of a different audience to Fringe, and um, Gen Con, a big gaming festival down here, is always the weekend right before Fringe, and we're always talking about, like, how can we get these gaming folks interested in our fringe and in local theater? And uh, what better idea than a musical about Billy Mitchell? So I revisited the King of Kong documentary before I really knew anything about Billy. And upon my second watch of it, I just started getting rubbed the wrong way. It felt like it was uh, really overly edited. Should we hold so, up the uh, DVD and say, where did the, where did the movie touch you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it was kind of like that. I just, it, it just, it seemed very staged. And so I started doing some research. And a documentary? As, no. Oh, what? Um, so yeah, just, I, I started doing some research. And as I'm doing the research, this, uh, this thing hits with, I'm sure you've heard um, people accusing Billy of cheating. And no. You, no, but you. And uh, the, uh, I'm, I'm calling it the Mame shame, the... Uh, that whole scandal hit, and that hit as I'm starting to write the show, and it did turn from more of a King of Kong parody to that and something extra and just kind of our own story. It's very much a parody. It's, uh, it's using these guys as characters, but in a fun way. But apparently I, uh, I hit some stuff on the head accidentally, so that's exciting. <laughs> yeah, there was stuff that 
she did. I go, how did you know? Nobody knows about that. <laughs> Nobody. And, um, yeah, she just stumbled upon some stuff that she actually hit accurately, not just funny. Again, you go into there and you want to have fun, you want to laugh. If you want to have a chart and you want to dot everything historically, well, then you'll get stumbled here and there. <laughs> but the fact is if you're out to have fun, it's the absolute perfect place to be. It's absolutely awesome. So while, while it was brought up, Billy, what, what did uh, King of Kong get wrong for you? Um, what happened was when they produced the film, you can't believe everything you see. What happens is you can believe all the bad stuff, but the good stuff, they edit that in to make me look nice. Other than that, they probably hit it pretty close. Okay. But the truth of the matter is it does follow a historical journey, and it's historical, and much of it's very true. And during the filming, being young and dumb as I was, now I say I'm just dumb, but we, we learn a lot because we thought it was purely a historical film, which really no film is. I mean, nothing. Maybe National Geographic is. And there is creativity and drama and Hollywood added to it. And that's what makes it fun and emotional and thought-provoking for people and causes all these conflicts that make it so popular. And you just have to run with that and have fun with it. Um, you can't take it too serious. It is amusing, though, how some people, whatever they see on screen, no matter what, it's real. You know, um, I remember a scene where I said, you know, Billy Mitchell always has a plan. I must have had to say that 10 times in 10 <laughs> different ways before I got it the way they wanted it. And, and it was that's a documentary, so that's reality. And it was probably the first or second take, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> so, all right. So, Casey, when, so when things happened in April, what, as far as changing, was it changing the story as well as changing the music? Um, the music wasn't really written yet, and the show hadn't really formed. I had, uh, I was kind of in my outlining phase, so I was watching King of Kong on a loop and just pulling quotes that I liked and turning them into monologues and kind of getting a handle on um, what I thought the voice of these guys would be as play characters because um, it was important to me. Um, I don't think that like comedy or parody has to be cruel. And I think maybe that's why King of Kong rubbed me the wrong ways. I, I felt like they made a, a, a quote unquote documentary with the eye to, to make fun of a community of people, mm -hmm. all of them, not, not just Billy, not just Steve, not just anybody, but just all of them. And I was like, that's, that's not the spirit that I want to do. I want to do something that not only the gaming community can enjoy, but the theater community can enjoy. And the point of the show is is to have fun and kind of memorialize these guys in a, a good, positive way. Mm -hmm. um, so I wanted to to hit on this uh, this meme thing just because one of the things that I wanted to show about the the ugliness of the community and where it kind of hits hard is the um, the people I'm making fun of are the haters, are the people that are, are being negative. So that's what I focused on changing the story. It went from, I'm doing this King of Kong parody where it's easy to make Billy Mitchell the villain. He's tall, he's got the long, dark hair. You can play villainy music behind him, King of Kong. And I'm making him kind of the hero. And I'm, I'm turning, I had to turn my script on, on its head in that way, I think. And um, that gave form to the music because I didn't really have a direction to tell my composer to go yet um, with how silly it was going to be. So I think he put a little bit more feeling and, and heart and guts into the music because I, I changed my tune of what story I wanted to tell. Mm -hmm. It's kind of funny. When, as I listen to her explain the way things are evolving here, I'm always asked about particular scenes or moments in The King of Kong. And they say, well, this, uh, doesn't that make you mad? Um, they were out to make a movie, mm -hmm. a good, emotional, thought-provoking movie. And as long as you recognize they're out to make an entertainment movie, it's all fine. None of it upsets me. None of it. Um, if you're looking for every quote, everything chronologically correct, well, yeah, I guess you would get annoyed. But when your purpose in your work is to laugh, your purpose in life is to laugh, nothing really bothers you. <laughs> All she did was take the story or the entertainment and turn it in a, another entertaining direction. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so, no, it was, it, it's awesome. <laughs> so who, who is your composer? Who, who are you working with? Uh, it's Christopher McNeely. He um, worked with me. Our last show together was um, another musical I wrote, Mall Musical. Um, he put a couple new songs on that. Um, with my other music friend, Mr. Davey Pelsu, and then uh, Chris also worked with me on Taming of the Shrew and uh, Tooth of Crime. He was one of my primary music directors, and yeah, one of one of my guys I trust most with the guitar. So, what kind of music do we expect? I, I was I'm not going to name drop as far as composers. And my first thing, what my first guess was, is it going to be '80s arcade music, or yeah, yeah. kind of, okay. kind of. Um, we wanted. Because it's fringe, and we didn't want to try to do two arcade cabinets and a live band on stage, uh, we wanted this sort of very stripped-down, poppy, almost chiptune kind of sound. So it is kind of 8-bitty and, and 80s nostalgic, and it's it's really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's pop music. Uh, Chris says there are songs like he's never written before. He's more of a, of a serious songwriter, so this was... Uh, a fun challenge for him, I think. <laughs> Billy, if you could have an intro music, what would it be? Besides Pac-Man Fever? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is it available? <laughs> yeah, it is, actually. <laughs> um, but actually, being the guy that I am, the from the era that I am, yeah, I did recognize all the music as they were preparing, and I saw the different rehearsals and such, and um, it obviously brings back memories to that time. And when we're over at um, Tapper's Barcade, and the music's playing, it's loud, it's um, rambunctious, it's very reminiscent of the time and what it is she's trying to recreate. So people say to me, God, can you play in an atmosphere like that? No, that's where we came from. Yeah, it's easy to play in an atmosphere like that. And uh, that's why we had the success we had yesterday. Yeah. So I guess you, you say you're making fun, of, so, uh, making fun of the haters in the show. So is there a dance number with guys uh, trolling online in their underpants? In their um, basement? No, they don't have underpants. Oh not having that, not seeing that dance number either. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a, I have a scene where, uh, where Billy and Walter try to go on a podcast, um, and I'm kind of making fun of a specific uh, podcaster uh, that was kind of around during the the height of the uh, the, the scandal, and uh, that's in there. Um, there's a, there's a lot of talk of like YouTube and. Uh, some websites that I probably can't say on public radio Thank that you. are funny jokes. Um, Appreciate in the it. Show. But it is Fringe Festival, so you get your $15 <laughs> worth of uh, Casey Ross uh, cuss words and humor there. So, yeah, it's a... Uh... What was funny as this began to unfold, as you say, back in April, I'm like, and without lying to you, it takes a moment to gain your footing, like anything in life. And believe me, I've gained my footing, and I, I know what I'm doing, but I'm... I'm thinking about it, and I'm figuring the direction I would handle it in. And suddenly, um, the guy who handles things for me calls and says, remember the lady we talked about from Indianapolis? Yeah, he goes, she's all nervous you're going to cancel. She is? Yeah, no, tell her not to worry about it. He goes, no, nah, don't worry about it anyway. I guess you thought maybe I would take some other opportunity to do something mm-hmm. else. And maybe most people in show business simply do that or follow with that which is convenient for them but i said oh no don't worry we'll be there and i had no idea what she was putting together and i had no idea what direction it was going or what direction it would end up and i don't mean to sound funny but you and i barely only i can count on one hand the number mm-hmm. of times we even spoke i wouldn't yeah. even fill all my fingers yeah it was and, four. Uh, so it was kind of unique i say when did you first get in contact with uh, the lady from indianapolis um, me, probably yeah. a month or a month and a half ago, but another guy that I work with had made arrangements and that was probably, the talk probably started in February. I don't know. Yeah. I think, um, I, I messaged a guy that runs an arcade and a, a friend of Billy's that I, cause I, I'm stalking YouTube trying to figure out like, how can I get this guy's email address? Like there's yeah. gotta be something. He doesn't have Facebook. He doesn't social media there's, much, so... There's quite a few of us. I was I was about to say, I, I bet if somebody looked up Billy Mitchell on Facebook or Twitter that there's, oh, there's a several. slew of them. There's yeah, a bunch. And right. some of them that, None are, of which are, that are quite... And a photo you flattering. would never... Photo, I would say a photo you would or would never use as Both. far as... Yeah. There's really good and really bad. There's actually a Facebook Billy Mitchell's hair. I <laughs> mean, how much, how much time do <laughs> people have? And I, I have people say to me, oh, I friend requested you. I go, no, you didn't. <laughs> yeah, I did. I go, I don't have a Facebook. <laughs> 
I don't have anything. I I don't read anything. I don't I don't take that which she's talking about, that poison she loves so much, <laughs> and I just don't put it in my head. Mm-hmm. And um, well, the guy she's talking about, my friend Richie, he he pretty much doesn't either. I know about it because I hear about it from everybody I know. Sure, but I don't actually want to sit there and read it. The first time I Googled my name many years ago, I had 11 million hits, and I thought. Man, if I go into this world, I will never come out. <laughs> so I, I didn't do it. Now there really is a Facebook that, um, like, a family member's putting together and a Twitter. But I, it's an official one with your okie doke. Yeah, but I don't. I don't even know how to get on. I don't even know what it is. <laughs> it, it's brand new. But I'm but, just. I'm not a social media guy. But I. Th- but I think, in, in for your case, if if somebody truly wants to get to you, not right. get not get to you, but I guess right. get a hold of you. Right. So in a case of you – know. there, There's ways to do it through people. Sure. People, um, Walter, channels. who has another. Um, I get people that get an email and then they pass it on to me. But and so, but was it, I'm assuming this was your first musical offer. Uh, no, this was number two. Really? Well, the other one, they simply did a musical sure. and they sort of did it on the fly and I was just supportive of them. That's all. Th- okay. Yeah, this is the first time there's a relationship like this. Okay. So, so – um, and, and both musicals were different. How so? Um, one has a King of Kong parody plus, and that's this one. Mm-hmm. The other one is uh, has is less up to date. Let's put it that way. Okay. And and I invited them here to come to this musical. I said, you know, I mean, I'll get them in the front row. I do have a little bit of pull, but um, <laughs> and they're in based out of Chicago, but uh, I think they're out of town, so I don't think they'll be here. So you've you've sat in on rehearsals and and let one, you one, one rehearsal where nothing went right, but yeah, they did. well that's was, rehearsal. It was rough. Yeah, um, yeah one rehearsal and then we uh, we opened last night. Uh, we still had a couple things not going right. Um, man, do you want do you want the honor of the uh, the brick through the window story or shall I? Okay. Um, <laughs> so what happens is we're at Tappers, I'm playing, and there's all these crybabies who say that I didn't get score A, B, and C. Over a 36-year career of gaming, there's three scores of million point scores on Donkey Kong. Well, about 10 days ago, just to be an arrogant son of a gun, I did three million point scores, and I did them in, I did them in a week. Okay, so, but I didn't want to do a better score unless I'm at an event. So we're at Tappers, and I'm playing, and I, I played a game, and I did okay, and I go, okay, we got to go. She goes, no, no, play again, play again, don't worry about it. So I played, and the score's going and going and going. I went beyond a million, and I went to a million 47, and at a million 47, which is one of the scores they protested, I stopped the game right there. I calculated it perfectly. Just, it's in your face. It's arrogant. Yes, it's, it's Billy Mitchell. Okay? <laughs> a and mic ev- drop of sorts. Yeah. yeah, and then everybody's there, and everybody's happy, and everybody's taking pictures and doing the examination and verifying everything, and... We sort of, well, I'm there with her in the cast, and we're mm-hmm. sort of like, play starts at 9 o'clock. It's 5 minutes to 9. <laughs> so it's a, so now it's like a mad dash to the car. We get to her car, and somebody, I don't know who, locks the keys and had the keys locked in the car. That's my lovely boyfriend who's helping us out, and uh, I've, I've never seen a look of We got uh, five minutes to panic. get to the venue that's 15 minutes away. No kidding. They looked around, and they found the right brick, and they threw it through the window. <laughs> and we all got in a glass-infested car, and we drove there quickly, and everybody was waiting. So so the musical actually started a little late because of the high score and the brick. And the thing is, you'll put this in a film, and somebody's going to think it was staged. <laughs> and it wasn't. It was, it was real. And most things are staged. I'm here to tell you that. I mean, I tell people, I go, do you really think... I sit at home and answer the phone and say, world record headquarters, you really think that? And I get a blank look and I'll say, I'll give you a hint. They brought a phone in because I don't have a home phone. And they give you a blank look. But that really happened last night, just the way we said it. See, when you said brick and window, I was thinking of something else. So you, yeah. that, that even adds to the experience. Yeah. So you got a story there. Yeah, that, oh, that's a musical next year. Yeah. Right. yeah, I think so. <laughs> that's, a, that's Arcade Fire 2. I do have a tendency. Electric Boogaloo, uh, I'll say it. Yeah, I, did. <laughs> I do have a tendency to sequel my own work. So, uh. Did you know this going in? No, not at all. I didn't know anything, really. You're more to discuss. Yeah. It, was, uh, it, it was less than a week ago, and I go, will somebody send me the schedule and what I'm doing? Because 
I was supposed to be here and go to California and come back here, but I'm here the whole time, which I'm happy about. And um, that California thing got canceled, and I'm happy it did. But I, I didn't, I didn't even know what was going on travel wise. <laughs> That's so funny too, because I, I had been sending stuff. Back I went and to forth. the airport for my flight. I didn't have anything. I looked on her um, Instagram page where she had posted a picture of my plane ticket. And I went up there and I go, uh, this can flight you do number, that? my name. Yeah. She she etched out a couple things that oh, okay. people yeah, shouldn't see. Say. So so the lady the lady at the counter I'm not giving anybody Billy's exact address. Yeah, the lady at the counter, you know, found it by that. That was funny. So out of curiosity, how long does a uh, does a million point uh, game take? Well, a, a better question is how long does it take to play to the end? Fine. Then, how long does it play to yeah. take to the play to the end? Yeah, and it's um it's a little shy of three hours. If you're playing slow, if you're milking for points, it'll take a little longer than three hours. But that's it, and um, that's uh, oh, that's long enough. Are so. stools acceptable, or is that a taboo? Uh, stool bar you stools. Know, when you sit on, okay, correct. Yes. Um, <laughs> the, no, no. The fact of the matter is, you most people sit the whole time. Do you? Yes. Okay. So if I'm if I'm playing and I stand up, it's because something went wrong. So, Billy, how did you get into into gaming in the first place? Well, the truth of the matter is I was a hardcore pinball player as a kid, just the competitive nature. And as video games came out in the late 70s and early 80s, um, people that I was competing with in pinball were slowly stopping and beginning to play video games. And as you can guess by looking at me, I, I don't embrace change very easily. So the fact of the matter is I, I didn't want to play. I was like, ah, that's something new and different. But... Everybody was playing it, and it was competition I wanted, and that's what I craved. So I had to make, as we say, the move to the dark side. And so she has the musical, and I'm standing on stage, and it says exactly that. And I'm like, how did you know that? I mean, some obscure interview that I did back in 1983 or something like that. What was she knew it. What was your pinball game of choice? Well, I mean, gee, we're going back then. Ones you didn't know of, electromechanical ones. I mean, um, okay. Evil Knievel, like Gorgar, uh, Pinbot, uh, Bride of Pinbot. I had a Bally's Four Queens when I was oh, a wow. kid. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's yeah. way back. Way back, way back. Well, I know is an, an extra bonus about Casey is Casey is a big fan of Pinball Wizard. This is true. Among other things. She's yeah. she's the, she's the film sociology uh, who correspondent. It's true. So <laughs> so that's that's even more synergy there. Um, so how long did it take for you to go from pinball to video games before you fully embraced the dark side, as you say? Well, again, not very long. I, so I said, okay, and I'm going to start playing video games. And there's this big yellow machine there, waka, 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 that I couldn't get to. So how am I going to play it? But, so I managed to get to the Donkey Kong and I started playing and started playing obsessively. Nobody was going to beat me. And then suddenly nobody in the arcade was, and I'm traveling to different arcades and nobody was. And we went to the World's Fair, and every time the car stops, I get out, and I'm running around looking at Donkey Kongs and scores. And I was just sure nobody could beat me. There wasn't a chance. And I'm, I said to the arcade manager, I go, where do they have contests on this? And he goes, they don't have contests on that. And I go, why not? You just had a contest on Tron. Remember when they had oh, yeah. with the movie? Yep. He goes, well, that's just because of the movie. He goes, we wouldn't have had it. And I go, so what do you have? He goes, he goes that game's Donkey Kong's popular, he says, but it's not like Pac-Man. And I go, what do you mean? It's Donkey Kong. And he goes, yeah, it's not Pac-Man. So literally I looked at him. I go, well, I'll just get the high score on Pac-Man too, which I did. So that was my – it was always like a hostile um, – <laughs> like a hostile introduction <laughs> Cut, each step. Cutthroat video gaming. Is, <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think as a, as a kid – I mean I was not a competitor, but I think you, you, know, you always have the guy over your shoulder. It's mm-hmm. like the guy who's over your shoulder when you're grilling. <laughs> um, there's there's a little bit of trash talk, but that's right. that's kind of expected. So the fact that there is now that when it's taken to a competitive level, right? And there's an official contest, then it's really got to be. Was it was it cutthroat early early on? Um, or, well, or is, and it still is. Yeah, it was, but I, I was the one cutting throat. And <laughs> the fact of the matter is, there was one guy that I was trying to pin down on Donkey Kong, and he lived in Missouri, and I mean I couldn't like get to the guy. And the first gathering of competitive gamers was Life Magazine, 1982. And he was there. I mean, he could not escape me. And so it was, okay, play. Donkey Kong, back then, he got 190000 in his game, which made everybody jump out of their skin. And that was great. Now it was my turn. And, I mean, I was gritting my teeth. I was ready. Remember, he got 190000 I got 849000 I'm my first guy. Mm-hmm. And it was that moment. 
that I was forever possessed with the idea of competitive gaming. That was that, that put me in Life magazine, and that was nineteen November of ninety soon after I would say when did your sauce business come into fruition well because uh, I know you've you've mentioned that the competitive nature of you helped you become a success in other things so I wondered when when man when, did did he do his homework or did you tell him that <laughs> I uh, you know this is your your pledge dollars at work um, yeah. no the the fact of the matter is um, well you think you even mentioned it at the beginning of King of Kong that the it was oh, okay. the, the winning being a winner or being competitive helped you launch into other 100%. things 100% it was like 1986 in what we call the close of the golden age of video games and i mean i was about the age where i had to look and i can't play games my whole life i might have liked to but i had to take my um controlled obsession and turn it to something positive and we had a family had restaurants and we were the second place in florida second it sucks being number two but the second place in florida to serve chicken wings and we were always obsessive about the different sauces we used weren't quite right so it was that nature and that business that i turned that obsession to and that's how my career began because i again that obsessive nature no matter what i was doing i would do it better than anyone in the world because i just wouldn't let myself off the hook and it was a driving passion that, and without lying, that came to me through video games. That came to me through competition. And that competition happened to be video games. But it's, it's guided me my whole life and everything I do, you know. What was the first sauce you created? Oh, it was a, it's a Louisiana, like a cayenne sauce similar to Frank's. Mm-hmm. And um, the other, that was the first one that was the most difficult. The ones after that were easier simply because you changed the pepper. Um, instead of using cayenne, use habanero or use jalapeno and things like that. And um, I've been in meetings before where I do a presentation to somebody like a major chain, but I talk to them about myself and what I've done in my career in gaming, and I just flat out tell them, the odds of success of this program that I'm putting together for you could not be any greater but for the fact that I'm sitting here in front of you and I'm the one putting it together. You know, we're not going you know, to fail. And um, so far, so good. So far, I've guessed right. <laughs> How many different uh, flavors do you have now? Um, well, as far as unique flavors, there would be like uh, eight of them. But the fact is how many different variations of those flavors or formulations for different people, It's there's hundreds. Mm-hmm. And have you? I'm assuming you've been to Buffalo already? Yeah. And you game there as well? Um, no, I just went to Niagara Falls. Okay. <laughs> I would say, do you still get people approaching you, like almost like the the gunfighter Every challenge? Every single day. Yeah? She and I will we'll, we'll walk down the street, people will stop. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's something that I promised myself that I would never unappreciate way back as it began. I've never said no to a selfie, an autograph, a question, a hello. Um, never once have I said no or said I'm too busy because I just promised myself I wouldn't become that person. You know, and uh, so far I've kept that promise. Uh, going back a little bit, was there was there a video game early, early on that just never, uh, never attracted, attracted you? Well, games that were, I tend to like games that are more methodical. Mm-hmm. Donkey Kong is very methodical. A game like uh, Defender, if you remember that. Oh yeah, it's very chaotic. It's a great game. I just don't enjoy the chaos so much. Um, there are games, Centipede's kind of chaotic. It's one that I got really good at, really good. I played it for t- 47 hours on a quarter and got 25 million points, so I guess I liked it enough. <laughs> but I actually enjoy the methodical ones better. Games like Tempest, you can be a world-class Tempest player. You're playing right in front of me, and I have no idea what's going on the screen. I just, I, this not what I have a strength for. Uh, how do you feel about the old uh, tabletop games, versions? Um, you mean like Pong and... No, no. Well, that I mean, but I mean, I I also had uh, as a kid we had a Ms. Pac Man and a centipede that was table. Oh yeah, yeah. So we yeah we call it yeah cocktail. Co- okay. Yeah, no, very much. I I used to play those a lot. Now some games are terrific to play like that. Pac Man, Ms. Pac Man, Galaga. Um, I'd have to have a ball and chain to play Donkey Kong in a cocktail. That would be horrible. Okay. So I guess how's your posture? Oh, I don't know. You tell me. Well, I'm. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I, I'm thinking about the the game. You know how much time it takes for you to play, mm-hmm. and the fact that you've been doing it for a long, long time. I mean, do, have 
I guess I'm going to ask, have you had back problems? Not at all. Okay. Um, and, I mean, I played football through high school, and I do. I mean, a lot of those guys got banged up. They got bad knees and hips, and by the grace of God, that never happened to me. And um, I don't have bad posture, but I won't lie to you. We can walk around and find, say, the top 100 guys that do what I do. You find a lot of that. Mm -hmm. um, they sit. They tend to grow sideways instead of upwards. Um, um, they t they tend to sit there and suck down soda and skip meals. Mm -hmm. In some cases, it gets really bad. You know, those guys that Casey trolls that live in their mother's basement who are 40 who years Who don't old. have dance numbers about yeah. them. <laughs> yeah, who are hoping to get their first girlfriend soon. You know, those guys really do exist. But, um, and, yeah, those there's challenges to this if you allow it to be. But because I've had a very normal life, a very normal career, um, you know, a wife and kids and a family, I think I've avoided much of that. Have, have, has the family watched the documentary at all? Um, yeah, they have. Even the kids? Uh, yeah, they've, they've all watched it at least once. I've actually never seen it. I don't watch anything that I've been in, and I'm not the only one that's like that. But right. They, um, but having a, a very anal personality, a very, as you can tell, I'm into details, and I would sit there and it would drive me nuts the fact that they leave out certain stuff, they add certain stuff. There are stuff, there are things that I have said on camera. No, excuse me. There are stuff that I have said on the big screen I never said on camera. And not, nothing that important. But the power of Hollywood is incredible And in what I've learned. I used to say, don't believe anything you hear, only what you see. No, don't believe anything you see either. I mean, <laughs> can, can you give an example of something that you said that was something that wasn't said that you said or said? Yeah, said, I, it wasn't said. Somebody sent me a clip and one of my favorite subjects in school was history. And I mean, I know history well. I can name the presidents all the way through in the years they were president. I don't think I'd miss one. Um, I, I could name of the 10 senators who killed Julius Caesar. I could probably name eight of them. I could name the top three aces of World War One. I could name the number of planes they shot down. That's actually a speech in the show. Okay. Yeah, I was about to say because that's I. I, well, I one one person I don't know anything about. Zip. I could barely spell the name. I've never spoken about Joan of Arc, and somehow somebody showed me a clip where I talked about Joan of Arc. I mean, I, there's just no way I said that. Um. And I don't know the purpose of why that person did that. And whatever it is, I don't care. It's fun. It's entertainment. But. Um, uh, Brian, somebody who's in the movie, in the play, or characterized, they showed me a clip of him. You'd have to know Brian. Brian eats bacon on everything. Everything. I think he puts it in his soda. And so, there, there is a bacon soda, actually. I think he can get it downtown. <laughs> no, there's, so there's a clip where he says, okay, I'm starting on my day off here like I do every day, eating 10 strips of bacon and far, f four hard-boiled eggs. You'd have to know. Brian wouldn't eat a hard-boiled egg. He'd, he'd pass out. But it helped him look goofy, so... They helped him say it. And, again, it doesn't really matter. It's just fun. But um, they don't have to actually do that. They can show you laughing at a kid get hit by a car simply because they know how to put it together right. Mm -hmm. And in the right film, I guess that's entertainment. But you learn a lot, and you realize no matter how guarded you are in your words, um, people can always have fun with you. <laughs> what kind of tra – I mean, I've – I mean, by training, as far as I mean, what do you? How often do you play? Do you play a game just for the sake of training purposes? Well, very little of what I actually do now is gaming. Um, I took on after the perfect Pac-Man in 1999 and going to Japan and getting the Player Century Award. I took on a, a position of being like an ambassador who pushes and promotes competitive gaming, brings glory and recognition to other players, and it's worked out great. Um, but there were little spurts where I did play again. I actually hadn't played Donkey Kong on any serious level since 2010. Now suddenly our fun, silly thing happens, so I start playing again. And of course it takes a little while to get into gear. Um, so if this hadn't happened, the question would be how often do I play? Almost never. The hardest thing now without lying is to sit down and play. It sucks. Well, would you rather, yeah, I'd rather sit on the couch with my son or my daughter or my wife, yes, and watch TV, or 
do nothing or go out to eat with a friend than to sit there and play or, as they say, so-called train. Do you have a, do you have a home video game at home? Um, well, if you asked me this question uh, a month ago, the answer is no, none, zero, not one. I'd get games. I'd have them donated. I'd win them. I'd be paid in games. And I just always gave them to friends. They're like in different friends' houses. So, But some guy who's very much on my side comes banging on the door, and I open the door, and he's got a Donkey Kong. He says, come on, man. He says, I want you to play. I want you to stick it to these people. So I said, yeah, okay, I'll do that. So I played for a little while, and now we're sticking it to people. If he hadn't brought it, there is no way I would have traveled to where a game is. No way, none. It's not the important part of what I do. Okay, so this is a film show. Billy, what do you like to watch at home? Or what movies do you like to go see? Or have you seen anything recently? Well, let's go back a little. Sure. I'm not good at short answers in case you didn't notice. That's all right. We have a, we have a full show. Okay, well. <laughs> this back, isn't commercial radio. It's all right. Back in the days, back as a, in the 80s, mm-hmm. um, we saw every movie. No matter what it was rated, no matter what the, right. we just saw it. Because we'd go game and game and game and game. So we're gaming eight hours. Take a break. We don't take breaks. So we'd go to the theater and watch a movie. Um, remember the Karate Kid. Mm-hmm. Remember the music to it. It fits. I think there's some of that. I know there's some in the movie, and there's some in the musical maybe. Mm-hmm. But you know, we went and you know we saw Rocky three or four and on and on about Rocky nine now. But and so the fact of the matter is, so I saw every movie. Then the day came where people would ask me, "What's the last movie you saw?" Jaws. I mean, I didn't have an answer because, do you have kids? I I have one child. Okay, so you'd understand, or maybe not because you're in this business, but the only thing I saw was kiddie movies. I never saw a movie. Never. We had we had the period where when when Emma was younger. (laughs) By the way, one of Emma's biggest fans, right next to you. Um, we'll tell that story later. (laughs) She's sixteen. Okay. But uh, but there was that period where she would watch. I thought you were going to say she's three. I don't say you see no, nothing that, yet. Well, that no, that's a well, that's a difference. We'll tell the long farm story later. <laughs> but um, but uh, there was a period when she was about two or three. She would she could watch Finding Nemo or Monsters Inc. every day mm-hmm. for months. Yeah, I had a nephew who was like that with the Lion King. Whew. So did, did you have, did you have to go through that? Um, with yes. his kids, not him. He's fine. toy. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Toy Story, um, things like that. And um, so the time would come where somebody would say something like, uh, oh, well, such and such a song. And you'd say, um, I love you, you love me. <laughs> I mean, the only song you knew were kitty songs. Right. And so you go through that period. Well, now my youngest is 19. So <laughs> the theory is, uh, my wife says to me, she goes, man, it'd be cool to go see a movie. And I go, yeah, it would, actually. <laughs> I mean, the last time we saw a real movie was when we were dating, before we had kids. Oof. And so, but by the same token, as I supposedly made a step in after the perfect Pac-Man in 99 to adulthood where I didn't play so, I didn't play obsessively. I didn't play to put my name somewhere. And I had kids and I had a career and I had a direction in life. <laughs> I used to say to people, you know, a few years ago, gee, are you going to do this, this again, that again? And I would say, well, I'm thinking when my youngest goes off to college, I'll, I, I guess I'll have more disposable time, so maybe I'll play. Well, the truth is he went off to college last year, and I didn't have more time to play. It gets worse as the years go on. Time has a way of doing that. But, again, somehow in the last month this gaming has been ramrodded in my face to do it. But the one who's ramrodded it in my face is my son. He was home in the summer for a short time. And when are you coming home? Uh, I should be there about seven. Oh, you, can you come earlier? And I got in. Come on, we got to eat and you got to play. And he was. He was like, um, I don't know, like, like a, a trainer or something. And without lying to you, and I thanked him yesterday, without him this wouldn't have happened. It, would, it wouldn't have happened without the kindness of um, Neil, a guy, a friend of mine, and a guy named Rob. But it uh, really wouldn't have happened without my son, you know. And then my wife to just sit there and let us be irresponsible. Uh, we, I call that sitcom wife. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's you know the the, the show may be named after the husband, but who's the smart, hot mm-hmm. sitcom wife who wins all the Emmys? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the smartest person in my house. So. Okay. You'll like this story. Okay. I there's a guy at Glitch Arcade who can't hear this. It's too bad. Or maybe he can go he can. online. You tell him later. Okay. He owns Glitch and he's a nice guy, and it's very much like um, Tappers. He, I go in there. I mean, the guy won't take our money for anything. He gives us the place. He says, well, we're closing, but you can stay. Um, gee, we're not going to be open tomorrow till this time, but let me know when you want to come here, and I'll come here and open. Mm-hmm. He's one of those guys. It's like Elvis. Yeah, so I, he's just a nice guy, and I said to him one day, I go, hey, I'll, I'll do a million points on your machine. It'll kind of make it special and sign it. And He goes, oh, that'd be awesome. That'd be great, Bob. That's like a dream. And I said, okay, no, I'll do that. Don't worry. And so one day her friend and mine, um, Richie Knuckles, called because um, it was his birthday later that day. And I go, what do you want for your birthday? And he says, um, he goes, do a million points for me. Richie is a defender of me. He knows what the real truth is, and that's his way of sticking it to some people. And I go, oh, wow, that's a lot to ask. <laughs> Remember, I haven't played in a long time, mm-hmm. but I, I had practice. And so in all the years of my wife, 22 years, she has never once seen me play a video game. Never. When I would go off to Gallivant with people like Casey, um, she's home with the kids. Sure. She's a 29-year teacher and all that stuff. She has things to do. Yeah, she has a life. And, uh, <laughs> not a gun mall, not yeah. the woman behind you at the blackjack right. table. She's got things to do. Yeah, she's not a, a keyboard commando. Right. And, not your valet, yeah, for you wrestling fans out there. So I said, to, so we were going to go. My son and I were going to glitch, going to stream, so it's official, and we're going to give Richie his birthday present, and we're going to give the guy glitch the million points. And man, that's like a lot of pressure. I'm like, you don't, you can't do things on demand. Mm-hmm. Not everybody can point at the wall like Babe Ruth did and make it happen. But I happened to say to my wife, I said to her, I go, I go, why don't you come with us? And I thought she's going to last 10 minutes. She's not going to be able to sit there. But I, I just said to her, I go, why don't you come with I go, come with us. I'll do you a million points. She goes, yeah, you guys are going, okay, I'll go. She went. I couldn't believe it. She sat right next to me. And there were times when I looked over there, and her eyes were closed. I was afraid <laughs> she was going to fall over. But then as the score rose, naturally you get a little perked up. Mm-hmm. And it's so cool that there for Richie on his birthday – which all the haters will hate because um, they're not going to confront Richie. Richie's not a guy you confront. And my wife was there for the first time. It truly was. And I made that guy that promise. And so about at closing time, so it got quiet. It was cool, and we signed the game, and it was really cool. That really happened that way. That could really go in a movie, and it wouldn't take Mm -hmm. much Hollywood creativity. So... I don't know. That'll, I, think, I, think I don't, I don't know. Maybe be, that's that's more material for her next project. In my full length, Richie would be my sixth character. So, yeah. so <laughs> I, I I think we're writing the script right here. Yeah. I don't know. That's fine. We'll 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 take a cut. Act two. Yeah. That's right. The executive producer credit. Mm-hmm. Um, what about our uh, video games and movies? I guess like something like uh, we're able to see Ready Player One. Yes. Um, Ernie Klein, and I hope he's listening because. I didn't see him in Austin this year. I saw him last year, him and his wife. And the only thing um, finer than Eddie uh, is maybe his wife. I mean, they're awesome. And I was knocked off my feet when he gave me a signed copy of his book, naturally before everyone else. I'm I'm used to being first. but And he had said that um, he had followed, he saw my history, and he knew my approach, my attitude, um, the passion that I have. And he said that, I was the inspiration, one of his inspirations, but he said the inspiration for him um, to write the book. Um, That's something that, when something knocks me off my feet, that's heavy duty. (laughs) Um, Again, he gave uh, that uh, homage to Walter as well, and I I wish that I could see him in Austin this year because I had a very special gift for him and his wife, and it'll wait till next year. Mm -hmm. But um, I guess there was a part in the movie the movie extras, somewhere something that, like, reference, or in the book that references the perfect Pac-Man or something like that, but if there was, I didn't catch it, so maybe I'll catch it somewhere. 
How often are you approached about uh, and asked about the film Pixels? Oh, all the time. <laughs> they go, does that guy play you? And I go, did, did you see the film? And they go, yeah. I go, he was like the coolest guy in the film, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. <laughs> and I go, because he is Peter Dinklage. I'm sure he's not listening. He is a guy who's, yeah, Maybe. he is a guy who's, you know, stock is on the way up as a, a Hollywood guy. Mm-hmm. And um, so I don't think when the movie was designed that he was expected to be the hit. Probably people thought Adam Sandler. But, no, he clearly was the hit. And so people do. They say to me, they go, well, how do you think he did? I go, well, I don't know. In some ways, I'm sure he did good. I says, believe me, he came up a little short, too. You know. Oh. Uh, so There's somewhere out there, Casey, I know that he he got to do Richard III. Yeah. In New York. And I'm still clamoring. I wish somebody had either oh bootlegged God. it or I would love to have seen his take on that character. Did you know that um, Teller did a production of Macbeth? We saw it this summer. Yeah. We did. Yeah. Oh my God. Use of Illusion. And we were yes. up in the third balcony. It's incredible. And it was great. Picture. Yeah. I mean, it was really, really cleverly done. And I'm, I'm good. I'm I'm good for the Scottish play for about ten years. Yeah. Now that I've seen three productions yeah. in a year or so. When we when we talk about different people like that, um, and I mean this is rather personal, so I'll, I'll tell you this without giving names. But okay. I haven't done this with Peter Dinklage, although I will. Um, I've had other people that I've either crossed paths with, or I haven't actually crossed paths, but different film and aspects have crossed paths, like Peter Dinklage. And I've had it where I've done some creative stuff um, that we'll be giving you in a minute. (laughs) Oh, thank you. And what it is is creative stuff where I I create stuff, sometimes Walter does, and we send it to them that kind of honors them. And, you know... See that? That's got the other guys in it. For those for those listening, he's holding up a flyer of the show. See, that's the original movie poster mm-hmm. of the King of Kong, and we've taken the three main characters and substituted them with the new characters nice. with Casey's Casey's gang. It almost looks like a Sun King can, and um, it does. So things like that, or putting their face, their picture on a custom bottle of sauce, or creating trading cards. Um, People who are, I learned that, for example, different people like Will Ferrell mm-hmm. is an obsessive fan of the movie. And so when you take people like that and you reach out to them in a personal manner, it's not easy It's not easy to get to them, and it shouldn't be. Sure. But you can get anything to their manager. Mm-hmm. And from the manager, it'll get to them. Um, Elvira, whose name is Cassandra, is another one. Oh, yeah. And you send stuff to them. I just did it a couple times as just to do it and the personal reaction you get from them they jump out of their skin maybe because you've reached out to them in such a personal way therefore these hardcore actors and business people no then you connect on a personal level that's really really cool i mean that's something that i really like to do you know um i don't know if you've seen the trading cards i have now yeah oh and um tossing cards so people who do things that are um competitive <laughs> involved in the gaming world that make a difference or somehow have an impact and they might think it's small. No, that's historical. These people that are in the musical and they play the parts of people who had a real life connection in the gaming world. No, they played them so that makes them part of the history of gaming and the legacy that'll go on. And so I like to take people, and again I'm using Peter Dinklage as an example because I never did it, but you reach out to them and because they were a part of it, and so you sort of recognize or give them credit in your own personal way, and it's always so well-received. I don't think I've missed having somebody call me with an emotional reaction to it. It's really cool. You know, you think of them as being just some snob on the screen, and maybe some are, but I haven't crossed them yet. All right, final question. What's the more enjoyable uh, arcade video game film, Tron? Or joysticks? Um, no, it would absolutely have to be Tron. Joysticks was like some kind of insult to everyone's intelligence. <laughs> Me make, making a, a horny teenager movie in, a, in an arcade? Um, yeah. Those guys, um, 
Um, what can I say? They were in the arcade. I'd like to say they shouldn't have been in the arcade, <laughs> but they were in the arcade. Those are the kind of people you got to hide your kids from. So, so Casey, and, where, where, and I think okay. Joystick was the first video game movie ever made. I believe so. So that was unfortunate. <laughs> well, they had nowhere to go but up. Right. That's so. true. Well, what are you trying to say? We're always evolving. <laughs> All right. Where can people see Arcade Fire, Casey? Um, we are actually off tonight. Indie Fringe kicked off last night. Big opening. Um, our next show is Saturday at 7.30. Uh, Billy will be there. And then uh, Walter Day, the other guy, uh, referee. Yeah, the um, other, other guy. Other guy. Yeah. T-O-G. The uh, other guy. Yeah, just, you know, the father of esports. He'll be here as well um, on Saturday, tomorrow at 7.30. When he wrote the book to commemorate the golden age of video games, it was in 1998, he said to me, he goes, this is unbelievable. He says, I got all the history here. He goes, you realize when I'm done writing this book and it's released, he says, I will be the most famous guy in the, in the gaming world, history. He goes, he goes and, and, and you'll be the second most famous guy. <laughs> no, he got it backwards, and he wasn't even close. <laughs> but I like to pick on him for that, but I thank him too. Sure. And, um, yeah, he'll, he'll be here. But whenever we're not at the show, mm-hmm. which we're not always at the show, we're either at Arcade Fever Arcade yep. Fever. Whew. Tapper, that's another place. Yeah. Tappers. Uh, but we have something special with Pinball here shortly today. Yeah, um, we want to thank our sponsors, obviously. So Tappers actually sponsored the play, loaned us the Donkey Kongs for the show. Um, today we're going over to Pin Vault um, so at you, Fountain they Square. They tell me it used to be a bank, so it has a vault. Mm-hmm. Nice. It has pinballs in it. Yep. Good. And uh, so they're opening up special. They typically only open on uh, first Friday. But they but heard I was in town and they were Billy kind Mitchell. enough to open. You know, these things happen. Drop the dates uh, and location for the sh- for the performances. Uh, we are show number seven in the Indie Fringe program, so that's the easiest place to find us. Next show is uh, Saturday at 7.30, Sunday at 1.30. That's going to be a big one because right after we're heading over to Tappers, they're doing an all-day game-a-thon, classic games, um, and that's when we're going to be doing our trading card ceremony and a big party. And we have um, two, two up-and-coming, soon-to-be-famous podcasters coming to do a podcast from Chicago. Yeah. Um, um, they're coming tomorrow. Two fans that have been like, follow me, Billy. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, what? And But I'm the kind of guy I answer. He goes, oh, you, can you come on a show? And I go, I don't really like to do shows. I'm here because of Casey, not because of you. Right? Yep. So finally he says, do you mind doing a show with me? I'm only 11. Ooh. How am I going to say no now? Right. So I says, well, have your mom or dad contact. So they did. And then I came to town, and I took it, and I threw it at Casey. Well, they happen to be in Chicago. This has been happening a lot this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so <laughs> they happen to be in Chicago, so these twin up-and-coming podcasters are driving down to see the show, to see us play, and we'll do a little podcast. So don't tell anyone I'm nice. Don't tell anyone there's a human side to me. It would be bad for my career. Got it. Yeah. All right, well, Casey, Billy, thank you for hanging out. Always. Thank you, Matt. Silent Breed is people! Zardoz has spoken. You can check out Arcade Fire and all the other shows at the Indie Fringe Festival. Go to IndieFringe.org for all the information. Go see a good movie. You deserve it. Go see some Fringe. You deserve that as well. We're going to end the show with a tribute to Aretha Franklin. No, I'm not playing the scene from the Blues Brothers. We're going to play the title track to the 1976 film Sparkle that was written and produced by Curtis Mayfield but sung by Aretha Franklin. So salute to you, Queen. You're listening to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD2 The Point and WFYI.org. Good afternoon, Fort Myers. Good afternoon, California. Good afternoon, Michigan.
I can't believe you let her watch Manoff. <laughs> Is she scarred for life? Let's put it this way. What parent are you? <laughs> when I wake her up, I vocalize the theme to wake her up to get oh, her ready to school. Oh, you're a terrible father. <laughs> okay. We'll do it live. Okay. Well, no. we'll do it live!